These are non-intentional. They're not manipulative. They're not willful. They are stress behaviors that happen when the body needs to move a certain way. That means the body or the mouth. This would include tantrums, yelling, screaming, biting, kicking, throwing things across the room in a second, throwing things off the table, tearing up my homework. When those things happen really fast, they indicate a shift in the nervous system's response to stress. And those aren't on purpose. So when you ask a child uh, why they did that, they're likely not able to answer until they're more mature. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, and thanks so much for tuning in. I think you're going to love this episode. That voice that you heard in the introduction is Dr. Mona Delahook. And Mona specializes in using neuroscience-based tools to transform childhood behaviors. The way she described it to me was sort of like positive parenting 2.0. You take the positive, nurturing stuff that we talk about all the time here on the podcast, and then you figure out how it lands on each individual kid because it hits each kid differently. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Once in a while, a book or a set of ideas comes across that makes me feel very excited, and Mona's is definitely one of them. She integrates a lot of the things that we've been talking about on the podcast for the past year or so. Things like really understanding and listening to the message that our kids are sending us both verbally and through their behavior, and tuning into the underlying body awareness challenges through things like interoception. Now, all of this sounds really intimidating, but I promise you, her work is not. Her new book, Brain Body Parenting, How to Stop Managing Behavior and Start Raising Joyful, Resilient Kids, it's one that's going to resonate with a lot of us, especially coming off of two very long years of a pandemic. I hope you enjoy my chat with Mona. If you want to get the links for her book or any of the things that we talk about, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 301. Without further ado, Here's our chat. Hi, Mona. How are you? Hi, Danae. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad to have you here today. I have been a big fan of your work for a long time now. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait to talk to you. So I've been diving into your new book, Brain Body Parenting, How to Stop Managing Behavior and Start Raising Joyful, Resilient Kids. And there's so much that I love about it. Oh, thank you. I wrote it. I, I just put everything I could think about in it. Um, <laughs> everything related to parenting, not just thinking about behaviors, but how we can raise resilient kids because it's, it's been a rough few years, right? And parents are exhausted. Kids are struggling. So I think it's a, I think I'm, it's a good time, I think, for, to have the book come out. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing while I was reading it, how relevant all of this is, especially right now. And I think that 
so much of what I see in my work with families and in my work, just, you know, podcasting and, and reaching out and talking with families across the world is that behavior, our children's behavior often feels like something that is directly our responsibility, our responsibility when it goes well and when it go, doesn't go so well. And I, it, there's a lot of parent blame. Do you see a lot of that in your practice? Oh, so much. It comes from different sources. I think um, because our culture believes that the child's behavior automatically reflects our parenting, right? That there's a lot of self-blame that people do. Uh, parents are very hard on ourselves. We, we, we are judgmental on ourselves. And then also there was a really big study that uh, Zero to Three did that found that parents feel judged almost all the time when they're in public with their kids. Mm -hmm. So I think it comes from a lot of different places. And um, it's, it's one of the reasons I think self-compassion is like the biggest tool in our toolbox because it doesn't have, we don't have to worry as much about what we're doing wrong. It's not that simple. It's not just behaviors are an example of what we have to do better. It's just, it's a different way of looking at behaviors is that they provide information, such valuable information about our kids. That's judgment free. That's just useful. Yeah. One of the quotes, actually, the very first thing I wrote down in your book is it's helpful to move away from classifying behaviors as good or bad. Instead, they are adaptive. And for parents, they are incredibly useful sources of information. Mm. I think that thinking about behaviors as adaptive, can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Yeah. On the face of it, it seems like how could be, how could misbehaviors possibly be adaptive? That is, um, that doesn't sound very logical, but think about it this way. When we look at behaviors from the lens of our brain and body from the, essentially from the nervous system, we find that the, especially those behaviors that are agitated and those ones that we are most concerned about like tantrums and, and misbehaviors or a child check, completely checking out um, are protective to the nervous system on a subconscious basis. And subconscious means that the child's not choosing that behavior but their nervous system is choosing it for them. So this is kind of the, the mind bending shift that we are proposing uh, when we look at um, the meaning of behaviors now, that we're not just taking them on the surface, we're diving deeper. And that's where, at least in my practice and, and myself as a mom, I found such better results and greater connectedness with, with my children and the children that I've worked with, relational connection. Yeah. And one of the ways we recently talked about anxiety and how parents accommodate anxiety on the podcast. And I think that one of these ways that we see kind of quote unquote, bad behaviors pop up is anxiety. You know, anxiety drives so many, I mean, I hate to say undesirable behaviors, but challenging behaviors in our kids. Well, and I've, uh, kind of rethought anxiety too, in the last, uh, decade or so, like, the word anxiety, um, when we hear it, could sound like uh, a disorder, like, oh my gosh, my child's inherited a disorder, or my child is doomed to have this problem for the rest of their lives. 
And through this new lens, we can look at behaviors that are driven by um, the detection of threat, the subconscious detection of threat, which really is what anxiety is. It's this, this force where our, again, our nervous system detects that something is not right, even if we're safe, right? Even if we're in a safe classroom, we're a safe home. But anxiety is when things kind of go awry and all of a sudden our body is feeling worried or scared or needs to move. And when we look at it that way, we can now become detectives to say, huh, wow, my child is activated. They're agitated. They are, they're moving their mouth or their bodies. What does this tell me about their safety detection system? And that's one of the chapters in the book is this, this whole safety detection system that um, a neuroscientist, Dr. Porges, described. And many others are also agreeing with that our bodies are constantly assessing risk in our environment. And some of us are hypervigilant to the environment. But now just let me speak as a parent when I observed anxiety in myself or in my child, that got me really freaked out. First of all, because I, I uh, am a psychologist, <laughs> like, shoot, man. <laughs> if anyone should be presenting something like this, <laughs> right. me, right, right? And then I had a child with such high anxiety, I'm like, oh man, you know, right. there we go. The judgment thing, like, what the heck am I doing wrong? Yeah, the parent blame. Parent blame, mm-hmm. parent blame, parent shame. I am no different. Uh, than any other parent when it comes to that. We all kind of, maybe that's part of being, you know, maybe it's part of a maternal instinct. I don't know. But now the way I view children who are doing things that look like anxiety, those would be things like refusing to to get in the car and go somewhere like soccer practice or school or, um, you know, wanting to have things just right, wanting to control the environment and, and be the one who chooses where things go or what they do next, um, or, or having these big behaviors uh, because they're, they're worried about something or tearing up their homework because it's not just perfect. You know, All of those things can also be viewed from this lens of the nervous system protecting the child and trying to help the child feel calm again. So it's a, it's a whole different way of viewing uh, this word anxiety. Mm, Yes. So there's a question that comes up a lot with parents and it comes up in my home. I often hear my husband asking my kids after they do something that doesn't make a lot of sense. He'll say, why did you do that? Or why would you do that? And that question is so fast. And I've heard a lot of people ask it to their kids too. I don't really ask it because I'm like, I don't really think they have a very good answer or like, what are you looking for there? (laughs) I think that so often the kids and the behaviors that we struggle with the most are the ones we don't understand. And as an adult, a rational adult, we're like, just tell me why help me understand the, why you did that. Like it didn't make any sense. Um, that you see a lot of parents kind of just being struggling with understanding. Yeah. That's a beautiful question. And I love your husband's question. I mean, we are rational thinking parents and asking about a why, it's a really good question. You know, however, here's the caveat as you as you were alluding to, I think the first thing we need to ask ourselves is ask ourselves why. 
before we ask the child. Mm. Because if the why is subconscious, our kid is gonna give us an answer. They're gonna try because it feels really embarrassing to not have an answer, but sometimes mm -hmm. they're gonna make something up because humans don't like to feel shame. So they'll like think of something like, well, she looked at me weird or, you know, or, you know, she, you know they'll, they'll think of an answer, but here are three things we can consider uh, before we ask the why. And that, that is that we have to understand that there are three main things that can influence a child's behavior. The first one is the state of their physiology that uh, we can talk about as the platform. But this, this physiological state, are, um, I just call it the platform. It's our brain and body connection that allows us to either be calm and intelligent and, and work through things with problem solving, or sends our body into this motion or shutdown. So we have to make sure that number one, when we ask a child um, the why is, are they, um, is their body settled enough to be able to answer us right now? Or is their mm -hmm. body just moving or shutting down? Number two, this is a big one. Social and emotional development occurs from birth to the mid twenties. So this ability to pin a why to answer a why question, to pin an answer to that has to do with something called social problem solving and symbolic thinking. And children, you know, begin this journey again in toddlerhood, but many children aren't symbolic yet. So they wouldn't really be able to pin an emotion word to a feeling or a sensation. So asking them the why in that case would be almost like, um, you know, teaching someone to roller skate before they know how to walk. Mm -hmm. and, and so they'd be kind of like confused, like, yeah, because inside they are like, I don't know. I just did it. <laughs> um, the why behavior almost implies, at least to me, it implies that they have chosen that behavior, that yeah. it was an active choice. Can you speak to that at all? I hate, I, sorry, I interrupted you on point number three, but no, no. Well, point number three is just that everyone's different. So okay. point number three is that all those individual differences really what will work with one of your children will likely not work with the next because everyone's mm -hmm. so different, but your, your point is such a good one. When we ask a why question, and this is again, um, everyone who's, who's listening to this, first of all, um, I want this to be a no blame, no shame zone. So if you're thinking this way, please, we all are essentially on some level, because this is how our education system is. Yeah. This is how our culture is. So I don't want you to think, oh no, I'm, you know, I did something wrong. You didn't. You're doing the best you can. So, and yes. including your awesome hubby. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, he does great. Right. He does amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I have um, my own vices. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. But here's the here's the big idea. The big idea is that not all behaviors are purposeful or intentional or willful. Um, some behaviors are stress responses or stress behaviors that are mediated not by the brain, but by the body's response mm -hmm. to stress, which is individually determined. What does that mean? It means that there's two types of behaviors, top down, which is well thought out behaviors, like maybe taking something or stealing something out of your out of your handbag, out of your mom's purse or your dad's closet and then lying about it, okay? That would be a top-down behavior. That's thoughtful, mediated, clever, a scientist, limit testing. So of course, 
individuals have that behavior, but that's a top-down behavior. That's a behavior that a kid may be able to answer a why question to if, they're, if they trust you enough. Now, the second type of behavior is a bottom or body up behavior. These are non-intentional. They're not manipulative. They're not willful. They are stress behaviors that happen when the body needs to move a certain way. Uh, that means the body or the mouth. This would include tantrums, yelling, screaming, biting, kicking, throwing things across the room in a second, um, throwing things off the table, tearing up my homework. When those things happen really fast, they indicate a shift in the nervous system's response to stress. And those aren't on purpose. So when you ask a child uh, why they did that, they're likely not able to answer until they are more mature. Mm -hmm. But the why is still valuable. Like I, I still ask the why, but the why is inside my brain. And it's like the why help me understand what, or sort of not asking my children, but, you know, using my knowledge that I have to understand why this is happening and how I can support to move forward. Absolutely. And that's kind of my work because I wish I knew to ask myself that why before I threw some of my kids, I have three in timeouts when they were little. That's when I had a behavioral focus. And honestly, I do have a lot of self-compassion. My children are, are amazing and have forgiven me, but uh, you know, we talk about it now, but like I, they would do something that clearly was like yell or scream at their sibling when they were scared. And I thought they were just being annoying and waking the neighbors up late at night and <laughs> time out. Right. right. So, I just want parents to know, like, this is how we think. This is how I, I thought until I studied the nervous system deeply, which I'm very grateful for. I'm grateful that I got that reframe early in my career. But yes, I love what you're saying, because when we ask ourselves the why privately, that can shift our lens to wondering, huh, what should I do next? Should I continue to ask them questions? Should I do a boundary or discipline? Or maybe I should kind of resonate and sit with them for a second and wonder and be curious with them. We're going to pause for a quick two-minute word from today's sponsor. The first sponsor today is KiwiCo. Why do flowers bloom? How do caterpillars turn into butterflies? Why is the day longer? Why is it warmer? There are so many opportunities to learn, and it's the perfect time for discoveries. KiwiCo delivers monthly science and art projects that celebrate a child's natural curiosity and spark a lifelong love of learning. KiwiCo has subscription lines for kids of all ages, infants, preschoolers, all the way to teens. Grownups are always welcome to join in on the fun, and you'll probably want to because the projects are pretty great. My kids and I recently completed a pinball machine. It was really fun to collaborate and create a final project that we could actually use and play with together. Step into spring and celebrate the season of discovery with a KiwiCo subscription. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the code simple at kiwico.com. That's 30% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code simple. Our next sponsor is Seed. I have long been overwhelmed by the idea of probiotics. I know that probiotics are good for us, but the abundance of different capsules and foods and drinks that are on the market put me right into decision fatigue. What I've learned from Seed is not all probiotics are created equal. 
Seed has something they call the daily symbiotic. It's a broad spectrum, two-in-one, probiotic and prebiotic. It's been engineered with a special two-in-one capsule that actually protects the probiotics through digestion to make sure that they're delivered all the way to the colon. You'll likely see benefits such as less bloating, healthy regularity, improved skin health and heart health. I was excited to try Seed because it's a great quality product that didn't involve me making a decision. One and done. Start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com forward slash simple and use the code simple to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. That's seed, S-E-E-D dot com forward slash simple and use the code simple. And you started to talk a little bit about the platform and I want you to lay that out for us because this was a big mindset shift for me. And it, I think I'm going to be definitely using that and thinking in this way. So tell us about what a platform is. Yeah, I'm so glad. Um, actually the, the, the phrase neural platform form or brain platform, uh, I read in an article of, um, Dr. Again, Dr. Stephen Porges, who's the developer of the polyvagal theory, who is a, a dear man, who's, uh, um, now a friend of mine because I've, known him and studied his work for so many years. Um, he wrote this amazing article a long time ago that talked about um, the neural platform that kind of launches our behaviors, our emotions, our sensations, and our feelings. And think about it as a diving board, kind of like, like you know how you jump off a diving board? So the diving board is is our brain and body constantly getting information. So we're never just a brain and we're never just a body. A lot of our, our work uh, in psychology, as you and I know, is talk is about cognition, thinking. Tina Payne, Bryson and Dan Siegel say that the upstairs uh, brain, you know, the top-down brain, which is awesome. We all have top-down thinking, but the brain also gets its operating instructions from the body. That's how the brain knows what to do. So think about the platform as this kind of uh, launching, launching thing, like a diving board that launches your kids' behaviors and our behaviors as adults. So if uh, you have a, a strong platform, you can up it to your uh, developmental ability. You can learn new things. You can take on challenges. You can talk to your parents and debate with them about why you don't want to do something, but you remain calm. You don't start to, you know, lose it. But when you have a vulnerable or weaker platform, which isn't the child's choice, then you'll have things like whining, complaining, um, lying on the floor, refusing to do things. Those, though, or screaming or kicking or hitting, you know, or spitting, those indicate a vulnerable platform. That brain-body connection needs support. It needs social connection to feel stronger. That's how humans are made. We're made to feel stronger and safer through our social networks. Yeah. So I had a visual on this and I don't know, do you see the platform in your mind when you talk about it? Tell me your visual. I Okay. So I had a, when I read it, I had a very strong visual immediately where I, I had a visual of a kid standing on a piece of plywood as the sturdy platform. And then yes. another kid on a wobble board. Do you know what a wobble board is? Like those yes. curved boards. 
Yes. I'm thinking about it as like the, this is kid is on a sturdy platform and this one is on a vulnerable platform. Cause it's like all over the place. I love that. The whole body and the whole brain is all on the platform. All of us, right. It's oh, not just one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to use that today with uh, attribution to you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> because think about the wobble board. Think yeah. about it. How well can you plan your actions on the wobble board. Right. And what do you need when you're on a wobble board, wobbling out of control, a helping hand or something to help stabilize you? Yes. You need support. Mm -hmm. When someone's holding you, you can get that wobble board to feel kind of like a a plywood on the surface, you know, and, and okay. Okay. This analogy is just freaking me out. It's so good because (laughs) Think about a holding hand for our kids. When your child is having these behaviors that indicate a vulnerable, shaky, wobbly board, we, we symbolically hold hands with them. Yes. And in our culture, and especially in our education system, what do we do to those kids? We tend to give them reinforcement schedules or consequences or rewards when they're better. But when you're on a wobble board, a sticker chart's going to do nada for you. You need human connection. You need someone yeah. to stabilize you. Yeah. And you need to build up the muscles in order to stabilize yourself. Build up the muscles of yeah. self-regulation. And yes. Muscles are not built overnight. They're not a quick mm-hmm. fix. Slow and steady, consistent practice, yeah. right? It's consistent practice. And I guess that's, I think that's one of the hardest things about being a parent, because wouldn't it be nice if we could have our child develop self-regulation in a week, you know, like if yeah. there's a week, how to build self-regulation in a week, but right. it happens for years. That's why being parent is so freaking hard, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just, um, it, it doesn't, but we don't have to be perfect. You know, that's, there's a lot of room for error. Humans are resilient, but I think that we, when we know this, so many parents that I work with, tend to think that because their child can walk and talk and reason some of the time and feel like an adult almost some of the time um, that they should be able to do that all of the time if they're just try hard enough. And that was one of the most surprising things in the world to me that I learned about my own children because I was expecting too much of of them. Um, I expected them to do it all the time. It's like, if you can't do it now, mm-hmm. you're just fooling me because I saw you do this yesterday or <laughs> right. an hour ago. Like what the heck? <laughs> so the platform is not, it's not static, right? You could be stable one day. You could be wobbly the next day or the next minute. Tell me about how it changes. Yeah. So the platform shifts in real time, not just for our kids, but for all humans. So mm-hmm. maybe uh, you have an experience you can think of um, when your platform suddenly broke, essentially. Sometimes our platforms can can go down really fast where we have this threat detection and all of a sudden we're yelling or screaming at our partner or mm-hmm. maybe our child. And we're like, oh my gosh, later on, you're like, that wasn't me. That was so uncontrolled. Well, that was a platform shift. And uh, the way I talk about it um, is thinking about three different colors. Our nervous system has three main pathways. There are, there are blended pathways and it's quite complicated and the research is ongoing, but the three main pathways of our autonomic nervous system are basically calm, agitated and needing to move my mouth or my whole body and shut down or feeling very hopeless. So uh, our children and ourselves will cycle through these different platform 
stages throughout the day. None of us can feel good and solid and calm all the time. We're not, we're not made that way. Um, we're not robots and the world is so unpredictable. So we have these great abilities. Our nervous system can, when it detects threat, it wants our body to move. And uh, sometimes that movement is unfortunate, like results in doing something that you later regret. Yeah, but that's a signal to know that your platform has suddenly gotten wobbly mm. and, um, or your child's. And uh, again, going back to what you said, what does a wobbly platform need? It needs that stabilization, that support, that hand, either through our words or through our look on our face or our tone of voice um, to help the child feel safe again. Yeah. And I think so often when we talk about positive parenting or parenting in this way, where we're actually recognizing the regulation system over some sort of forced compliance mechanism, um, I have a lot of parents that will try it on like, okay, I'll try it. And then they, you know, it quote unquote doesn't work. Yeah. What do you say for those parents that sort of like, we tried the positive parenting thing. We tried this and it didn't work. Well, what I'm suggesting is kind of, uh, I think positive parenting 2.0, okay. because to be quite honest with you. Um, I, I don't think that being positive all the time is, is really effective Yeah. <laughs> because I think that we do have to understand our nervous systems better. Like if you're positive, when a child is in this super distressed state, that strategy may not work for the child. That's why I talk about customizing our interactions to the platform and not only to the platform, but to what soothing strategies your child needs to feel, go back to green. So positive parenting is amazing. It's of course, it's human connection and it's the way to go. But I'll just say that I was an attachment parent, uh, a positive parent, but I had a child who struggled greatly with autonomic regulation, with staying with self-regulation, essentially. Mm -hmm. Her body was sold downstream a lot. Her body, not her brain. She, it wasn't that she wasn't trying hard enough. And I think that for those parents who try positive parenting saying things are still getting rough, my answer is, then what you need to do is get to know your child's nervous system better. And no one's gonna teach you this. Your pediatrician probably is, doesn't know this stuff yet. It hasn't really been translated into the parenting literature. And that's my most exciting idea about this book, Brain Body Parenting, is that I want to show parents how to customize their interactions to their child. And in addition, we can have so many more tools in our tool chest in addition to being positive. Mm. And those are the things like tools I wish I would have had when I was a younger, a young mom, um, now yeah. that my children are adults. So I'd say if positive parenting isn't enough, you're not alone. Just get more granular, get more strategic with figuring out your child's nervous system. Mm. And I walk you through that. It's of course, I can't say it in a minute. It's, right. it's you know, it's a while. It takes a whole book. <laughs> you mean you're not, you can't do it in a one minute Instagram reel? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great, man? <laughs> I know. I mean, I have a whole lot of a whole lot to say about the Instagram reels. I I feel I feel really anxious and somewhat frustrated about the overwhelming amount of content, especially in this arena, that is trying to be relayed in one minute. And I think it's it's hurting us more than it's helping us as parents because we're inundated with, you know, trying to get a PhD on Instagram and it's too much. 
I'm so, I'm just so relieved to hear that coming from you because I have that same concern and it feels bombarding. I, again, I'm not raising young kids right now, but when I look at the reels and I look at the information that sometimes is delivered with such like, this is what you do in order, mm-hmm. and you will definitely find an answer to your child's X, Y, Z. If you do this in one minute, I'm thinking, wow, humans aren't that simple. And mm-hmm. And many parents might try it, something they hear on Instagram and it doesn't work. And then they may feel even worse. Like, oh yeah. no, that didn't work. Is there mm-hmm. something wrong with you? And I want parents to know that it, no, there's nothing wrong with you. The thing that will allow a technique to work isn't the technique. It's where it lands in your child's nervous system. So once you understand where your child's and your own nervous system is, are you green, blue, red? Are you accessible? Are you not accessible? First of all, is your platform wobbly or is it strong? Then your all your good techniques have a better chance of working. Mm, I love that. And so often we probably just ignore our own platforms and we look at our kids as the ones that need fixed rather than us working on our own stuff. For sure. And that's just so essential. That's just the bottom line. It's why I have a whole, whole chapter related to that because it's, it's self-care isn't just a nice add on. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, I'll tell them I have stories about myself in there that you do. And I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I ended up in the, my doctor's office first dehydration, right? Okay. (laughs) I forgot to drink water. (laughs) That's how out of body I lived with, you know, working and raising three kids, co-raising three kids. But um, our our self-care is our life support system. I want parents to think about it as our life support system, not as a little cherry on top that once in a while you get to go and get a manicure or a a massage. It's so much more than that. And um, again, the research, there's so many studies on how uh, nervous systems communicate with each other. And again, mm. I wish I would have known that, but I'm so happy that, um, I can share it with parents now. Yeah. And I think in the past two years, even if we previously had a sturdy platform as parents, I think we've all been vulnerable kids and adults. So vulnerable. I think our world is vulnerable. My heart breaks for the amount of vulnerability now that's in addition with the big war going on mm-hmm. um, in Ukraine and people fighting for their lives, there is so much vulnerability in our world coming on the heels of the pandemic and yeah. everything we, your children and, and parents had to go through. Uh, and there, as you probably are, are seeing in the studies coming out, uh, there are higher rates of uh, anxiety and depression throughout the world. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a tough time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we can only project really what the impact of the past two years has been on our kids. We're starting to see it, but we don't really know, you know, the impact of, of the isolation and, and all that, but we also, at this point, what can we do? We can just start here and move forward. We can't rewind, you know, and I think a lot, there are a lot of regrets, but no, we can't. And looking back, isn't going to help our platforms one bit. Um, and then on the, you know, on the hopeful side, I was talking to a, a researcher yesterday and she 
uh, believes also that there's an opportunity for this generation of kids to develop some additional resilience mm. from going through a pandemic. This will be their hero story. And that's not nothing that you and I had to go through or even our parents' uh, generation. So there's an additional growth comes from adversity. So there's some chances, again, or our kids will, will have a short-term hit, maybe, maybe not, depending on their individual differences, but they'll also be able to um, hopefully be more resilient through getting through all this with their help of their parents. You're absolutely right. So many of our kids have faced things that they would not have faced. We would have saved them from and rescued them from if we could have. And there have been so many circumstances we haven't been able to do that. You know, we think about simple things like a canceled birthday party. You know, my daughter was supposed to have her first, well, she wasn't turning one, she was turning four, but it was her first scheduled birthday party in March of 2020. And we had to cancel it. And I remember like the gut wrenching, like, oh my God, I can't believe we're canceling her birthday party. And I would have never canceled her birthday party prior to the pandemic, but like having to do that, not being able to reschedule it, like we got through it. Yes. Yes. Wow. I mean, that's just, think about that. You're right. You would have, you would have engineered around it. Mm -hmm. I would have. Yeah. And then, but now in the fabric of her, of her lifetime, she, uh, well, four, she may have a conscious memory of that, right? Mm -hmm. Wow, that was a big deal. But then my fifth birthday, you know, we told a different story and, you know, just be like, kind of like the hero's journey she's been on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think there is something to that and we'll see more of that as they grow. Yeah, for sure. So if there's one thing that you want parents to walk away from this book with, what would that be? Mm. There's two things. Okay. All right. (laughs) I guess the first one is that there's a whole new way to be a positive parent. And it's by customizing our interactions to our, to where it's landing in our child. I think that that if, if I can accomplish anything in the amazing positive parenting, uh, sphere um, is that we can, not only can we be positive, but we learn how to tailor that positivity into how it will land in our children in a way that'll make a a good difference for them, not just a generic approach. Um, That's the first one. And then, and connected to that is how important we are and how important it is to be gentle to ourselves and self-compassionate because I really believe that our compassion for ourselves and our patients with ourselves will translate into that resilience building relationship that we know um, helps children develop flexibility and executive function and social problem solving. So we matter and being gentle on ourselves is super important. Yes. I love that so much. And I think so many parents shy away from the word neuroscience and it sounds scary. They're going to read a book about parenting and integrating neuroscience, but your book is not scary. So I'll, I'll vouch for that. Like it's very, so very approachable. So I highly recommend it to everyone listening. Thank you so much. I'm glad you, I'm glad, I'm glad it's resonating with you. That means a lot. Absolutely. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Where else can we find you online? Oh, sure. Well, my, my website is monadelahook.com and I have a um, vid- free videos, uh, blogs, um, a lot of 
resources on that on my website and um, at Facebook, um, Dr. Mona Delahook and Twitter and Instagram at Mona Delahook. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Danae. Have a great day. You too. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Mona Delahook. If you want to find the link to her book or to get in touch with her, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 301. No new episode next week. I will be out traveling with my family, spending some extra quality time together. But if you have a chance, please leave a rating or review if you haven't already done so. I appreciate your support and I will talk with you soon.